Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about Caesarean sections. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash c-section or in the labour and delivery section of the Zero to Finals Obstetrics and Gynaecology book. So let's get straight into it. A caesarean section involves a surgical operation to deliver the baby via an incision in the abdomen and the uterus. It can be a planned procedure called an elective caesarean or performed where there are acute problems during the antenatal period or labour and this is an emergency caesarean. First let's talk about elective caesarean sections. Elective caesarean sections involve a planned date on which the woman will come in for delivery of the baby. It's usually performed under a spinal anaesthetic and is generally considered very safe and a routine procedure. Usually these are performed after 39 weeks gestation. Indications for elective caesarean section include a previous caesarean section when the woman is symptomatic after a previous significant perineal tear, placenta previa, where the placenta is covering the exit for the baby, vasa previa, breech presentation, where the baby is not head first, multiple pregnancy, where there are twins or triplets, uncontrolled HIV infection in the mother, and cervical cancer. Next let's talk about emergency caesarean section. There are four categories of emergency caesarean section. Category 1 is where there is an immediate threat to the life of the mother or the baby and the decision time to delivery time is within 30 minutes. Meaning that once it's decided that a caesarean section is required the baby should be out within 30 minutes. A category 2 is where there is not an immediate threat to life but caesarean is required urgently due to compromise of the mother or the baby. Decision to delivery time is 75 minutes. Category 3 is where delivery is required but the mother and the baby are currently stable. And a category 4 is an elective caesarean section which we've already gone through. Next let's talk about the procedure. The most commonly used skin incision is a transverse lower uterine segment incision going horizontally across the lower abdomen. There are two possible incisions. A Fannin steel incision is a curved incision two fingers width above the pubic symphysis and a Joel Cohen incision is a straight incision that is slightly higher and this is the recommended incision. A vertical incision down the middle of the abdomen is also possible but this is rarely used. It may be used in certain circumstances such as very premature deliveries and anterior placenta previa. Blunt dissection is used after the initial incision with a scalpel and this is used to separate the remaining layers of the abdominal wall and the uterus. Blunt dissection involves using fingers, blunt instruments and traction to tear the tissues apart rather than to cut them with sharp tools such as a scalpel. 
This results in less bleeding, shorter operating times and less injury to the baby. The layers of the abdomen that need to be dissected during a caesarean section are the skin, subcutaneous tissue, fascia or rectus sheath, which is the aponeurosis of the transversus abdominis and the external and internal oblique muscles, the rectus abdominis muscles, which are the six-pack muscles, and these are separated vertically, then the peritoneum, then the vesico-uterine peritoneum and the bladder, and the bladder is separated from the uterus with a bladder flap. Then comes the uterus, and the layers of the uterus are the perimetrium, myometrium, or the muscle layer, and then the endometrium, and finally the amniotic sac, which contains the baby. The baby is delivered by hand with the assistance of pressure on the fundus of the uterus. Forceps may be used if necessary. The uterus is then closed inside the abdomen using two layers of sutures. Exteriorization, which is taking the uterus out of the abdomen, is avoided if possible. Then the abdomen and the skin are closed and the caesarean section is complete. Next let's talk about the anaesthetic. A spinal anaesthetic involves giving an injection of a local anaesthetic, such as lidocaine, into the cerebrospinal fluid at the lower back. This blocks the nerves from the abdomen downwards. A spinal anaesthetic is safer and leads to fewer complications and a faster recovery than a general anaesthetic. The potential problems are that the patient remains awake, and most patients tolerate this well but some prefer to be asleep, and it takes longer to initiate than a general anaesthetic. The risks associated with having an anaesthetic include allergic reactions or anaphylaxis, hypotension with a drop in blood pressure, headache, urinary retention, nerve damage during a spinal anaesthetic, a hematoma or a collection of blood, which can be a problem of spinal anaesthetics, a sore throat after a general anaesthetic and damage to the teeth or the mouth during intubation for a general anaesthetic. Next let's talk about complications of caesarean sections. Caesarean sections are generally considered very safe and a routine procedure. Emergency caesarean sections have a higher risk of complications as they're usually performed in a less controlled setting and for more acute indications, for example, fetal distress. There's a long list of potential complications as with any surgical procedure. Measures are used to reduce the risks during a caesarean section and these include H2 receptor antagonists, for example, ranitidine, or proton pump inhibitors, for example, omeprazole, used before the procedure to reduce stomach acid, prophylactic antibiotics during the procedure to reduce the risk of infection, oxytocin during the procedure to reduce the risk of postpartum hemorrhage, and venous thromboembolism prophylaxis with low molecular weight heparin after the procedure to reduce the risk of blood clots. There's a risk of aspiration pneumonitis during a caesarean section caused by acid reflux and aspiration during the prolonged period lying flat. 
H2 receptor antagonists, for example ranitidine, or proton pump inhibitors such as omeprazole, are given before the procedure to reduce stomach acid and reduce the risk of this happening. So let's go through the complications. Generic surgical risks include the risk of bleeding, infection, pain and venous thromboembolism. Potential complications in the postpartum period include postpartum hemorrhage, wound infection, wound dehiscence where the wound separates and endometritis which is infection of the endometrium. There's potential for damage to local structures including the ureters, bladder, bowel and blood vessels. Potential adverse effects on the abdominal organs include the development of an ileus, adhesions or scar tissue in the pelvis and abdomen and hernias. The effects on future pregnancies include an increased risk of a repeat caesarean section, an increased risk of uterine rupture, an increased risk of placenta previa and an increased risk of stillbirth. And finally, the potential effects on the baby include the risk of lacerations or cuts to the baby, which is about 2%, and an increased incidence of transient tachycnea of the newborn, where the newborn has a temporary period of difficulty breathing with an increase in their respiratory rate. Next, let's talk about vaginal birth after caesarean or VBAC. It's possible to have a vaginal birth after a previous caesarean section, provided the cause of the caesarean is unlikely to reoccur. An assessment of the likelihood of success should be made in each individual case. Success rate of a VBAC or vaginal birth after caesarean is around 75%. Uterine rupture risk in a VBAC is around 0.5%, so there is a small risk of the uterus rupturing. Contraindications to a vaginal birth after a caesarean section are previous uterine rupture, a classical caesarean scar, which is a vertical incision, and other usual contraindications to a vaginal delivery, for example, placenta previa. Finally, let's talk about venous thromboembolism. Having a caesarean section is likely to lead to a period of reduced mobility. Women should have a venous thromboembolism risk assessment performed to determine the type and duration of venous thromboembolism prophylaxis, following local guidelines. Prophylaxis for venous thromboembolism involves early mobilisation, staying mobile and moving around to improve blood flow, anti-embolism stockings or intermittent pneumatic compression of the legs, and low molecular weight heparin for example, anoxaparin. So thanks for listening to this episode on caesarean sections. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. Consider becoming a member of the Zero to Finals Patreon for early access to the podcast episodes, as well as early access to the YouTube videos, bonus podcast episodes, and access to the Zero to Finals digital flashcards to test your knowledge. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll go through maternal sepsis.